There was a story in the Associated Press last week that suggested there was little proof that flossing your teeth works. This whole thing began as an innocent visit to an orthodontist. An AP reporter took his kid in for a routine checkup and got talking to the dentist who said, if you want a real story, well, here you go. There's no real proof that shows flossing has any real benefits. But the dentist still tells me to floss. So to help sort all this out and to make some sense of this story, I called Dr. Bobby Birdie, a BC Perio Dental Health and Implant Center. Dr. Birdie is a rare bird or dentist in that he holds dual specialties both here and in the United States in periodontics and prosthodontics. And uh, we reached Dr. Birdie in Montreal. Nice to have you with us this morning. How's it going? Very well. So... Is this a free pass out of flossing? Uh, you know what? It's it's actually kind of funny. Um, you know, the article that they're quoting, it, it's like it's like classic media. You take something and then you you take it and you kind of explain it or explode it or make it more than what it really is. <laughs> Not the um, media. Come on. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not bugging you. But in, in general, it's uh, it's the truth. You know, the article. If you look at it, and I'll break it down really quickly for you. It's a review article. They looked at about 400 studies. Um, and they only picked six of the 400 to look at. And of those six, they didn't, it didn't say that flossing didn't work. What it basically said was that if you brush your teeth and then if you brush your teeth and floss, that you didn't, you didn't remove that much more plaque with flossing. Right, okay. okay. But, but if you use like an interdental brush, that's what the article is about, is if you use like an interdental brush or something like that, uh, did that remove more plaque? Yes, sure it did. But the problem is that the research is not very good, right? Like a lot of times the people that are that are in the studies that are part of the research, you're going to do like anything else. You're going to brush your teeth or do everything that you're doing much better when someone watches you, when someone's monitoring you, when someone's looking at you, right? right. So yeah. in general, it's not that flossing doesn't work. Is that you know, things like 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 water pick or interdental brushes, they do very well as well. And I'm not saying that, you know, I don't think any of us are ever going to say don't floss. Getting underneath the gum tissue, you can't do that with the with the, with the other instruments out there. But um, I think that I just hope this doesn't get out of out of control because uh, you know otherwise it's going to be problems. Because if you don't floss, it, most people don't have cavities on the front or the top or the outside of their teeth. It's between the teeth, and that's because food gets stuck there and you can't get to it with a toothbrush. I can't imagine going without flossing. Now, what happened is that this flossing idea was included with the U.S. government's dietary guidelines, and they have a rule when they publish their dietary guidelines in which said, go ahead and floss. It had to be backed by science, and apparently they had to withdraw that because there isn't, as I think you alluded, there simply isn't enough science to back up the, the, the fact that flossing really does help. Sure, there's not, enough, there's not enough science to back off a lot of things out in the world. So, in general, there's not enough money. Think about this: way, a lot of research is funded by, you know, is, is there's money involved, and there's not a lot of money to prove that flossing works or to to validate that really thoroughly in research. And they're not going to spend the money to do it because there's no money in it. You know, it's like a lot of things, like in pharmaceuticals or other industries, where. You know, if you want a drug to, to get through so that the companies can make money, well, they're going to research and document that, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of that going on. Um, and in general, like I said before, it just makes a lot of common sense. Uh, you're going you're to want to get in there and, and clean as much as you can. Uh, you know, there are studies out there that show that you know, if you look at this in, in terms of, of endpoints, so the study that everyone's quoting says that flossing wasn't as good, but didn't make much of a benefit in plaque removal. Okay, mm-hmm. So they couldn't remove as much plaque. But that doesn't necessarily relate to keeping your teeth. So right. there are studies out there that show that if you want to 
keep your teeth long term, you should probably floss them <laughs> and clean and clean around them. So it's all about you know how do you want to interpret the article, how how and when you want to interpret it. So in general, it's a you know it's it's media. It's great. It's a, it's a great story. That being said, uh, you know, I think it's getting a bit blown out of proportion, that's all. Is this going to hurt people that might have been borderline flossers that maybe are occasional flossers and don't floss every day? Do you think that some of these people will buy into this hype and say, well, maybe I don't need to floss. It's just a big pain anyway. You know, I, I, I bet you a lot of people do. And it's unfortunate because it's going to mean that uh, they have a higher, a higher chance of having, you know, cavities between their teeth, uh, periodontal issues flat, tartar, things that that build up. And, and uh, you know, and the dental profession is not going to stop you from, it's not going to stop saying we should have you floss. So, you know, honestly, the, the, even the, um, the, the the president of the American Academy of Periodontology, which is like the, you know, the, the, the college of periodontists sure. in the States, he's come out and said, that is floss. You know, it's, this is not something that's one, and this is one article. You know, we can be quoting a lot of other articles throughout my adult time that could, you know, tell, tell us the, other, the opposite, so... As a periodontist, a prosthodontist, uh, with a practice in Vancouver and Coquitlam, does it bother you when these kinds of things come out? Uh, you know what? It doesn't bother me so much. Sometimes it's something that um, you know people will talk about things and they'll come into the office, and I like it when patients are informed. I like it when they are down online and they're looking up things and they have questions because it means that they're taking control of their oral health, they're, they're, they're interested, they want to know about it. But you know, sometimes if things get blown out of proportion, yes, it can make it you know difficult in practice or difficult to discuss with people because they want to believe what they see or hear on the radio or, or hear on watch on TV or see on the internet more than you know you know lots of years of training and documentation do. You know, so it's it's one of those things where it can, but I think it also brings a lot of awareness to the field, and which is a great thing. And that's what we're trying to do here. So you talk about an interdental brush. What what do you mean by that? So there's little tiny Christmas tree looking like brushes. We'll call them proxy brushes. There's other ones out there. You can buy them at the drugstore. And they do very well. You can get in between teeth and, and clean with those as well. I recommend strongly like a water pick or, or, or the, the oral irrigation where you're using like a little fancy, um, like almost like a little water hose for inside your mouth and to get in between. And that has really good documentation in the last 10 years showing that, you know, it does really well in, in removing plaque. And, and, you know, I can tell you that in, in our office when it comes to implant patients or any kinds of patients that are doing any complex work, we, we recommend it and we strongly advise that, that patients use that type of an instrument to help clean because it really works really quite well. And what effect does, if any, uh, does flossing have on the actual gum tissue or is it strictly uh, a benefit to cleaning the, the tooth? Uh, the, the flossing, when it comes to the gum tissue, the best part about it versus just a toothbrush is that floss gets underneath the gum. Mm. So, you know, when it comes to like, even when they test things, they talk about plaque removal, most of that's above the gum. So they don't go and measure the plaque that's below the gum. So a floss gets underneath the gum, and that's where things like perineal disease, calculus, and tartar buildup, inflammation, and, and, and infection, and you know, periontitis, all that kind of stuff can build up. It's underneath the gum. It's not above the gum where you can see plaque. So right. plaque removal is great, but you know, if you want to get underneath the gum, that's what floss is the best at doing, is getting underneath the gum. Do you see in your practice a, a lot of people that have uh, issues because they haven't been flossing? Oh, sure. We see it all the time. You see it a lot in patients where you, you can check uh, and, and you take measurements around someone's mouth, and on the front and the back side of every tooth, things are great, but when you get in between them, they start bleeding, oh, and, 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 and then and things don't work as well. And, and that's because they're not cleaning. They're not flossing underneath there. You can tell when a patient is flossing because 
when you go and check the measurements around the teeth and you get in between teeth, they're just like the front or the back of the tooth. They don't bleed. There's not inflammation. It's not painful. And, and you can, it's a night and day difference when you can tell someone really takes good oral hygiene uh, and really takes care of them out. How hard should you go when you're flossing? Do you really want to go at it, or is it something that you have to be really gentle at? Uh, that's a good question. I think that uh, when it comes around teeth, when you floss, it's, uh, you can't really go too, too hard um, because there's, the, there's an attachment to the tooth that prevents you, and there's pain involved, so you won't get that way. So in general, you don't want to be too vigorous about it, but you want to you know, get in there and, and, and make sure that you do clean well. Well, if you have an implant, I would recommend that you don't floss really hard. Uh, you want to floss much more gently because an implant doesn't have the same DNA attachment um, like a tooth would. So, therefore, when you floss, you can get in much more and cause more damage. So, you want to floss much more gently around the implant than you would around teeth. Right. And what is your recommendation then uh, in terms of brushing and flossing? How many times per day would you, re- would you like to see your patients brushing and flossing? I, you know, just, just the classic way, brushing twice a day um, and, and uh, flossing before you brush at nighttime. The, when, I can't stress enough that, you know, during the day when you're eating and drinking and talking and smiling, you know, there's lots of saliva and things inside your mouth, and that's not when the damage occurs. The damage occurs at nighttime when your mouth is dry, open, and all the food particles and everything else is left on the gum tissue or and around the teeth, and then that's when the bacteria get to it or... Or, or the microorganisms get to it, and then the byproducts cause damage. So um, brushing and flossing at nighttime is imperative. It's the most important time to do it. Hmm. Uh, and, and that way things are clean when you're, when you're sleeping. Okay, so uh, before you go to bed, be sure you brush, and before you floss, not as important first thing in the morning when you get up. You can wait until after breakfast. Is that, is that Absolutely. No? Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. So keep flossing. Keep brushing. If you can, get yourself an irrigation system or an interdental brush, which you highly recommend. And uh, let's take this study that came out of the U.S., or at least an article from an AP reporter, uh, with a uh, proverbial grain of salt. Absolutely. Dr. Bobby Birdie, BC Perio Dental Health and Implant Center, who is a regular guest on Vancouver Consumer. We reached him in Montreal, and uh, we appreciate your time. Are you golfing there? Or are you learning French? What are you doing there? Uh, just coming to see a few friends this weekend. It's another uh, speaking engagement as well, so it should be fun. Look forward to seeing you soon, doctor. Take care. Vancouver Consumer will be back in a moment on News Talk 980 CKNW. Our next guest has come up with what just might be one of the greatest ideas ever especially in this part of the world, isn't the key to any business to recognize a market that is underserved or not served at all? I want you to meet Joe Carroll. She's the owner of Barbecue Be Clean, where she has fully trained staff dispatched to your home to steam clean using only eco-friendly products, your barbecue. And why not? There's plenty of obvious reasons to want to have and use a clean barbecue, not to mention that a barbecue can now cost the same as a small sports car. Good morning, Joe. Nice to have you with us. Hi, Ian. Nice to speak to you. What makes your steam cleaning system better than, let's say, my $150 electric power washer? Oh, well, um, our steam cleaner heats to um, 150 degrees C, so it completely sanitizes, number one, completely sanitizes the barbecue as we're cleaning it. Um, So you often and get kind of rodents, rats and mice nesting over the winter, especially in a barbecue. Um, so your power washer wouldn't sanitise. It would, you know, clean, but it would make an awful mess as well. Um, our steam cleaner uh, pushes steam out for a really small hole, which is important because if it was a larger hole, it would lose its heat. 
mm. really quickly and a small hole will keep that heat which we need because basically we're kind of melting you know completely burnt on debris from years of, of use <laughs> um, and because it's only through a little hole it doesn't it doesn't spray everywhere at all there is no mess so we cover the area with uh, quadruple tarp um, but it, you know it isn't like a pressure washer it doesn't just spray everywhere yeah well you're right about the pressure washer spraying everywhere and the most frustrating thing about a uh, power washer which is a little bit aside from what we're talking about here is that if you've ever done your driveway why is it that the, the, the area where you start always looks the best? Because by the time you get uh, about two or three inches into the project, you've pretty much given up anyway. <laughs> uh, you know, you talk about eco-friendly cleaning products, and, and you're quite emphatic about that. Uh, I take it that not all eco or as advertised eco-friendly products are created equal. No, because if you go to um, various hardware stores or wherever you might buy, uh, different cleaners. So often we go to clients' houses that use um, like kitchen appliance cleaners uh, to clean the barbecue, um, and they think that that, that product's okay. But um, if you actually turn some of the uh, products around, uh, you'll see, you know, either the toxic symbol or the corrosive symbol. Um, and we sometimes go to barbecues where there are actual holes in the burners, particularly the burners. Uh, rusty grills, and it's you know it, it could be attributed to, to these products that they're not they're not correct for the job that they're trying to do. So I also particularly wouldn't like to cook where something of a toxic nature has been on that cooking appliance. I just you know that's just my thing. So our products, well, steam obviously is steam. It's, there's nothing toxic in steam, and then we also buy um, a locally made organic. Uh, cleaning products from the North Shore, um, and we use that. And we don't use any chemicals whatsoever on the inside of that barbecue. So, yeah. It's nice and clean, and, and it's uh, pretty much uh, uh, about as clean as you're going to get it from brand new even. Uh, so how often should uh, a barbecue be cleaned in your estimation? Some people like to have uh, a little, I mean, I've heard this argument so many times, and I'm not sure which way, uh, what I believe that that you need a seasoned grill. You need to leave. You know, if you've been cooking steaks on the grill, uh, you know, let that steak residue just sit there. You know, it's okay for you know for the season. Uh, or does it need to be cleaned after every use? No, no. Barbecue companies um, often advise that you burn off um, the you know the, the most of the residue after each time you use it. Um, and you've still got a season in there, but, it, but you know, most of that uh, debris is, is burnt off. Um, I, I think if you, if you use your barbecue maybe every day uh, for a family of four or five, then maybe, maybe you should be having it done every six months to a year. Um, a year, we do ours every year. Um, you know, that's what most people do. Um, and then if you did it at the end of the season or at the beginning of the season, then you, you put in that, completely clean barbecue away aren't you um so often if people don't have it cleaned at the end of the season when they open it up at next spring it will be completely moldy um mm. which is is you know then very bad for your health um and if you're going to be cleaning that we, we use proper masks because you shouldn't be inhaling mold spores um so yeah I, I understand about the seasoning but um if you just had it done every year from new then that barbecue will come up like new every year. Whereas we're generally going to people's barbecues who are two, three, 
10, 15 years old. <laughs> so then, you, you know, it's never, it's going to be clean. It's going to, that, you know, all, everything that's going to come off with steam at 150 degrees C is going, is, will be off, but we're never going to get it like new because it's been left too long. Whereas, you know, if you're spending $10,000 on a, on a top-of-the-range barbecue and you had it done every year, it would look like new, which is great because then, you know, the integrity of the burners, it remains, the heat keeps even, you know, your cooking's fantastic and there's no build-up of grease. You mean all the important things and the reason why you have a barbecue. How, how long do you think a, a, a good, a reasonably be a decent barbecue should last? Oh, years and years and years if you maintain it correctly. You know, we, we do some barbecues that are 20 years old. Yeah. Uh, it depends on your make and, you know, I can't on radio say makes of barbecues, which, you know... Uh, but yeah, if you invest in a good barbecue, you know, it properly invests, not not like a couple of dollars, then that mm-hmm. barbecue, if if you maintain it, should last a long, long, long time. Yeah, barbecue be clean is the name of your business, but in fact, you have a whole range of items that that you can make sparkle just like new, don't you? Yeah, well, we do, we do. Yes, our main business is barbecues, uh, but we do do uh, kitchen ovens and stove tops and quite a lot of extractor hubs as well um because this you know things that are greasy like an extractor hood that the, the steam just melts away so so you know that, that's quite a quick and, and relatively easy job um a barbecue is a bit harder which is why it takes longer mm-hmm. is this a fair statement that a lot of people like to barbecue uh, apart from the flavor that you would get off of a barbecue that they like to barbecue because they see it as a, an easy and convenient way to cook without the mess. Because, let's be honest, it, it seems to me at least that a lot of people that cook on the barbecue just leave it. After they're done, they walk away. Yeah, that is true. Um, yes, and you know, that's then why they call us in at the end of the year to, um, to you know, pick up the pieces of that season's mess, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I, I think people like to barbecue. I think Everybody likes being outdoors when the weather's nice. Uh, and it's also a really healthy way of cooking your food, whether that be meat or fish or vegetables. It's, you know, it's, a, it's, it's healthy. It's sure. not, you know, not in a frying pan with a load of fat. I can't let you go until I ask you how your dogs are doing. <laughs> thank you. One just appeared uh, and then walked out again. Uh, they're fine, thank you, Ian. The, uh, Mr. Finley's uh, getting a bit old now. He's 12 years old. <laughs> Uh, Daisy's upstairs with my daughter because she'd bark and that, you wouldn't be able to hear me. Uh, she's five and Alfie's four. So Daisy's actually five tomorrow. It's a birthday tomorrow. Oh, but wow. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you, for you, in fact, ran a dog behavior business. You're a former ER nurse practitioner from the UK and at one time a coroner for the BC Coroner Service. And the, the last six months, apparently, it says right here on this piece of paper that you were on the International Space Station. <laughs> That's not true, is it? Uh, I couldn't possibly comment. Joe Carroll from Barbecue Be Clean. Check it out. Thank you, Joe. We'll talk to you again later in the season. Thank you, Ian. And uh, we'll take a quick break on Vancouver Consumer from News Talk 980 CKNW. It's enough to make your head spin. The real estate market moves so quickly and is constantly changing. But it's more difficult for women than men when it comes to buying, selling, and owning real estate. Christine Denty is an award-winning realtor in the Durham and Toronto areas and has written a book, The Girlfriend's Fabulous Guide to Real Estate. Thanks for joining us this morning. 
Hi, Ian. Thank you for having me. Uh, the liner notes talk of, about this book as empowering women who often feel intimidated by the process. Do women have a harder time navigating their way through this crazy world of real estate? Um, I do find that that does happen, uh, mainly because I think we are inundated with advice from so many people um, that it can get, you know, you get clouded in your thought, uh, you know, is trying to find your way navigating the real estate world and, you know, trying to buy and sell a home. How is it more more confusing or, or, or harder to navigate for women than men? Uh, because, frankly, I, I would think the opposite. Women are generally smarter at these things. Yes, and, and uh, you know, I don't always think it's necessarily more difficult per se. Um, I just think, you know, when a woman sets out to buy a home, there's so many people with so much advice, and not all the advice is, is good advice. Um, for example, you get... You know, Bob, your neighbor, he bought one home, all of a sudden he's an expert. Not <laughs> yeah. to say he doesn't know how to, but you get inundated with so much advice, especially as a woman, you know, setting out to do it on her own, whether she's first-time home buyer, uh, post-divorce, or a widower. Everybody, you know, you get a lot of help, but everybody's sort of pulling you in different directions. And, and that's why I wrote the book, so that, you know, here's here's one manual, one guide, and it's, you know, there to kind of set them on their way. I can totally relate to what you're saying on, a, on another matter. I recently got a new puppy, and I, I was warned that if I met a thousand people, I would get a thousand different opinions on, on how to, to raise and train and, and do all those things you have to do with a puppy. And so I guess the same thing is for real estate or a lot of things that you don't do often in your life, like getting a new puppy or buying a house. It's not something you do on an everyday basis. No, definitely not. And and it's not to say that, you know, men don't need the help as well, but, you know, I happen to be a woman. And so, you know, so a, a, a man can, can write the men's guide. You know, I, I'm not sure if there would be, you know, any type of controversy, you know, surrounding that. But um, definitely myself being a woman and, you know, gone through so many different, you know, leaps in my life and, you know, good and bad um, I almost consider myself, you know, an expert, especially on divorce <laughs> and then starting over, right? So, you know, I was compelled to write a book that I would need, that I needed. So, and that's, you know, why I wrote why I wrote the, the Fabulous Guide to Real Estate. Well, you really get into it, whether it's buying or selling a home, uh, you get into a pretty comprehensive uh, maintenance breakdown. Uh, with the experience that you've gained as a, as a realtor, but also, uh, as you just alluded, some of the wisdom that you picked up along the, the line from some of your own life lessons. Uh, talk a little bit about that and how you've managed to bring your, your own life into your work. Yes, absolutely. Uh, in the past as well, I was a financial planner. So, you know, when it comes to the sort of the financial tips, that's through my own, um, you know, life lessons as well. Um, so I've been divorced uh, twice. Previous uh, and I've been in you know a few cohabitation uh, relationships. I have two daughters. I've been a stepmom. Uh, you know, I had a parent that passed away. So I've sort of you know gone through all the different stages of real estate. So I'm not you know sort of just getting my feet wet and all of a sudden advising everybody. I've gone through so many stages myself. And you know, to be honest, I wish my lawyer gave air miles or like you know <laughs> get you know do two get the third for free, right? Because otherwise. And be really winning, you know, within a lawyer game. But uh, <laughs> you know, I've done I've done so much myself firsthand. So it's not, you know, I'm not just telling people, well, this is what the lawyer says, or this is, right. you know, what it's it's like I've gone through the personal experience and you know the the woes of uh, you know doing these things for myself. The winner, the winners, uh, usually in those situations, is the lawyer. Unfortunately, 
Um, <laughs> I, I want to go back to this, though, because this one's, and, and I hope you'll forgive me, because I've been scratching my head on this one, and, and maybe mm-hmm. you can help me understand this. And, and the reason I want to bring this up is because there are so many women employed in the real estate industry. Why is it so difficult to, and this goes back to what we were talking about, the question is why is it so difficult to get reliable guidance? We, we can get guidance from anybody, but getting reliable guidance seems to be the tricky part. Yes, and I can definitely answer that. Um, a lot of people do enter into real estate. I would almost say it's probably the most saturated um, you know, employment in all of Canada, United States, because what happens is, you know, you see some realtor on a big billboard and, you know, number one in blah, 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 whatever community or township. And a lot of people think, well, I can do that. So they, they set out, get their real estate license and think they're going to be rich tomorrow. And it, that is far from the truth. There's only really, I would say, honestly, between 2 and 10% of realtors actually make a living out of, you know, real estate. And that 10% is someone making 14000 a year. Right. Uh, so what happens is a lot of those people have to seek out another job just to, you know, add to, you know, that, that little income that they're receiving. So they end up because they're, you know, and it, it, it may not work out for them. They end up taking on another job and then they're no longer an expert in real estate. Um, you know, so it, you're getting a lot of people doing a lot of transitions as, uh, you know, becoming realtors, but they're not necessarily sticking it out and gaining the experience and doing it long term because it's it's a very, very tough, tough job. Um, and if when you don't have the experience and you're giving people advice, I mean, you know, it's you can't just get everything off the Internet. Some things you can only experience firsthand. And I went through my first three years uh, pretty much, you know, broke, poor, like used up all my resources. But then little things started to happen. And then that client turned into two, turned into three, turned into 10 and so on and so forth. And as I gained my experience, you know, through my clients and everything, it was, you know, it, it helped me become more of a, you know, a, an expert in, you know, in the real estate field compared to my peers. A friend of mine who's a broker, uh, he's uh with a national company, and uh, he told me at one time, or he said this to me a couple of times, in fact, he said it on air, uh, that for people that are getting into real estate, become real estate agents, if they don't have a wide circle to draw upon, that they may not last very long. So what happens is, uh, and I know we're getting a little bit off topic, but I'm sure you can speak to this, and that is is that you you sell your uncle's house, your aunt's house, and your cousin's house, and your parents' house, (laughs) and you get them relocated, and then that's it. You've run out of a list of people to deal with. Yes, it's true. And, And to be honest with you, you're lucky if your uncle uses you because half the time they don't. They you you find out they they moved and like what happened and they use someone else because you're new and nobody wants to hire the new guy. Right. And that's what happens. But the unfortunate thing is a lot of people get into real estate because of you know they think they're going to be rich. You mean you mean all real estate agents aren't rich? <laughs> no, they I'm kidding. Don't drive the fancy cars, but no, and, yeah. and that's what happens. And it's unfortunate where someone's background might not be, you know, have the experience to, to you know, for that client care and just know, you know, sure. financial background. Like, you know, with myself, it was an extension of, you know, sort of what I was doing as a financial planner, whereas someone else it might not be so that the other experience may not be able to contribute, you know, to them being necessarily a, you know, a successful realtor. Well, when you break it down, the the real estate industry can be complicated enough. There's lots of rules and regulations to follow. It's a huge financial transaction. The other thing is that your emotions are usually tested. Your book takes (laughs) takes a lot of the mystery out of that and and takes the mystery out of buying, selling, and owning real estate. And uh, you break it down to, if if I may say, its most simplest Mm -hmm 
way of, of sort of dealing with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like I said, it's kind of the one-stop shop. And I mean, you know, I have a lot of clients, but the unfortunate thing is that I can't help everybody, you know, in person. And, you know, writing this book, I'm able to help everybody across Canada, you know, because I can't physically be there, but at least I have a book that, that can help everybody. And that's sort of what I was looking to do, you know, not just help my clients, but help sure. as many women out there as I can who are, you know, looking to, to, to get into, you know, buying, owning or, or selling a home. You're everybody's favorite gal pal. Uh, <laughs> the book is The Girlfriend's Fabulous Guide to Real Estate. Uh, on a related topic, I also wanted to ask you uh, for just a half a minute of your view of what's happening in Toronto. It's a, it's a very heated market, much like yeah. it is in Vancouver. I know that the Ontario government is looking at implementing a a similar tax system that has just been uh, introduced here in British Columbia. Any thoughts on where this whole thing is going to go? Yes, and I mean, you're going to get different opinions uh, from everybody. And, and, you know, similar to Vancouver, our prices have gone up and up and up. And, you know, even with my own personal experience, when I have a buyer and, you know, we think we're overpaying for a home, we go to the, the offer table, there's seven, eight other offers on the table. You know, it's, it's getting, you know, to be a little bit crazy. And no subjects. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and it, it's uh, it, the prices are going up. But what's happening is the transactions are going down. Mm. Right. So because you got seven people and only one person is going to win. Right. So right. it is the prices are driving up and I think they're going to continue to to drive up. But I think that there will be a slowdown because, again, you know, the transactions aren't going to be as much. So not as many to kind of drive that price up. But what we're going to find, I think, is another, you know, like when you have a business or an organization that sets up, um, you know, a company, let's say in Vancouver, all of a sudden employees can't afford to live there. Right. Right. So they're not able to to get sustainable, you know, employees. So then they move to Toronto. Right. So Toronto companies are, you know, starting organizations. But again, it's starting to be the same thing where employees can't afford to buy a home there. So now we're finding that companies and organizations are going into southern Ontario. And I think it's just, you know, this is just going to kind of keep happening where there's going to be migration and these these city areas are going to become bigger and bigger and more spread out because, you know, like I said, we're talking about, you know, employment. You know, we, we need to have employees being able to afford to rent or own a home. And, you know, that, that that's being compromised, compromised right now. Yeah, because it's not hard enough to commute around uh, southern Ontario now as it is. <laughs> I've been, yeah. in, I've oh, been in Toronto rush hour. It's not yeah. fun. No, no. Not fun and, at all. And your purchasing power isn't there. You know, the, the, the housing is like real estate. The prices have almost doubled since, I would say, 2009, in my opinion. Um, but people's salaries have not doubled. No, not no. even close. Not no. even close. Ex- except for are... except for me, I'm I'm independently wealthy, and uh, <laughs> <Good for you>. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a mansion in every city across this country. Um, you need to buy one in Toronto. Give me a call. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Christine Denty shares her most valuable lessons for women in her new book, The Girlfriend's Fabulous Guide to Real Estate. Where is the book available? It is available on Amazon.ca. You can find it on there, but also Barnes and Noble and Kobo and all those other outlets. Um, okay. If you want to do it like through, you know, your iPad, but uh, Amazon.ca is the main the main uh, link for that right now. How's it going? You selling uh, you selling a lot of books? I believe I am. I mean, my publisher they're reporting to me monthly, so I'm hoping that as soon. I mean, it just got released in July, so I'm really excited. I'm getting a lot of buzz around it. Um, so you know, it'll be a surprise to see in a month when they report to me what the sales are. I'm, I'm really anxiously 
awaiting, you know, that number. So I'm very excited. Your goal, as I understand, is to take the weight off women when it comes to real estate transactions and to show them that they can survive the experience and, in fact, prevail. Yes, okay. definitely. We'll look for your book. It's The Girlfriend's Fabulous Guide to Real Estate with Christine Denty. Fun talking to you. Thank you. Appreciate thank your time. You, Wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Ian. You bet. Uh, thank you. We're going to take a break, and we'll come right back. This is Vancouver Consumer from News Talk 980 CKNW. House prices are still high in Metro Vancouver, but for the first time this year, sales are down significantly. The latest numbers issued by the Greater Vancouver Real Estate Board show July sales tumbled nearly 27% since June and are off 18.9% compared to July of last year. Board President Dan Morrison says after several months of record-breaking activity, buyer demand has returned to more historically normal levels. But he says the decline in sales did not dampen prices, with July's benchmark price climbing almost 2% in one month to just over $930,000. And as we just talked uh, with Christine Denty, Toronto is now experiencing the same kind of superheated conditions. The Toronto Real Estate Board is reporting what it calls a troubling trend as demand for homes in the greater Toronto area now outstripped the supply and prices are leaping upward. The average price of a home has jumped 16% compared to July of last year, nudging to $710,000, while the average price of a detached home has leaped over $950,000, which is up 21%. Almost 10,000 homes changed hands in the GTA last month, which is the highest number ever recorded for the month of July. Vancouver International Airport's passenger numbers are up for the first half of the year. It's kind of staggering when you stop and think about it. Ten and a half million passengers pass through the airport between January and June. That's an 8.1% increase from the same period last year. The airport authority says YVR is set to break its passenger record this year by surpassing 21 million travelers and hopes to reach 25 million by 2020. Traffic to and from Latin America shot up 20%, mostly thanks to service to Mexico City, offered by Air Canada and Aeromexico. Lots of attention on Pokemon and Pokemon sightings, and in this case, you can actually see it and touch it, <laughs> like a 100 other people who are on their mobile devices looking at Pokemon Go. This one is is actually a statue that somehow mysteriously appeared in New Orleans. The statue of Pikachu is located at the center of a broken fountain in a park, and it stands with its arms folded, stands out on a cement base with a Pokemon on the side. Etched in the cement nearby is the hashtag Pokemonument. (laughs) Get it? That's a little play on word. Pokemon fans have posted selfies with the statue on social media. There's another reason to get off your phone. Nike is getting out of the golf equipment business. They're going to stop making clubs, golf balls, and bags, and will instead focus on their shoes and apparel. The move will likely send Tiger Woods and others uh, searching for new clubs, new sponsors. Tiger, of course, has been using Nike since he turned pro in 1996, and remains one of the biggest ambassadors for Nike, which is based in Oregon. 
In a bid to turn around its unprofitable mobile business unit, BlackBerry is making some of its software available for download to Android smartphone users through Google Play. The company's replacing, uh, re- releasing that is uh, BlackBerry Hub Plus. It's a suite of applications that includes a unified inbox, password keeper, and calendar, among some other features. Smartphone users running the Android 6.0 Marshmallow operating system can download a free 30-day trial version, after which they can opt to continue using a free version of Hub Plus with advertisements or subscribe to the enhanced version for about 99 cents a month. A new CIBC survey suggests that nearly all couples believe it's important to have a serious discussion about finances before getting hitched or moving in together, but only a third will actually get down and do that. The study found that 35% of all partners who plan to marry or live in common law say they've talked about money in detail. 45% say they've only discussed how to manage finances together Uh, very, very briefly, usually over a glass or two of wine. Despite those responses, 99% of those survey indicated they felt it's very or at least somewhat important to discuss how they plan their finances as a couple before becoming either married or to live together. The online survey was uh, conducted by Angus Reid and their forum panelists. Facebook taking another crack at ridding your news feed of those so-called clickbaits. Their last try was in 2014, but it seems that effort didn't work out as, as best as they had hoped it would. Facebook now says it's using a system that identifies what it calls, quote, spammy, unquote, headlines. They range from, and these are the ones to look for, and his reaction was priceless to what happens next is hard to believe. Those are the ones that kind of sucker us to click, and that's clickbait. We get inside there, and then they hope we'll take further action. Scholastic says the script to the London stage production, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child Parts 1 and 2, sold more than 2 million print copies in North America in its first two days of publication, which, by the way, is below the 8.3 million copies sold for the first day of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, J.K. Rowling's presumed finale for her fantasy series, but is still among the fastest-selling works in history and a remarkable number for a script to a play. It's based on her story, which was co-written by Jack Thorne and John Tiffany. The realm of gaming is expanding to the men's room in an attempt to make your bathroom stop more enjoyable. And who isn't looking for more enjoyable ways to stop in the men's room uh, this is what you'll you'll face in some bathrooms. It's a it's a new kind of urinal. It's a video game that is built right into the urinal, and it's debuted at the Coca Cola Park Baseball Stadium in Allentown, Pennsylvania. The urinal has a screen above where the action takes place. It's a video game that you control. Yes, with your pee. And there's research about what's really throwing your diet off track, if you still have an appetite. And the first thing that's messing you up is is the weekend. Most people eat at least 115 more calories on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday than they do during the rest of the week. And without the extra uh, exercise, that can add up to 5 pounds a year. 40% of the extra calories you consume, that is, is on the weekend. And from... Alcohol. 
My name is Ian Power. Mike Given is our technical producer. Stay with us. Vancouver uh, Weekend with Shane Foxman is coming up next. For Vancouver Consumer, my name is Ian Power on News Talk 980 CKNW.